now look at the situation of mango growers mango growers today see when harvest happens they get say one unit or say 100 rupees plus per kg yeah. and within four weeks that drops to 20 rupees or 30 rupees and after some it's after some time it's a waste can you believe uh, alfonso mango price drops one fourth within four weeks and now they don't actually make money farmers don't make money but as a consumer we spend lot money to get that uh, mango and eat that mango welcome to straight talk where we cut through the bs and get straight into real conversations with some of the best minds on the planet i am your host af mohotra i am blessed to be leading these extraordinary discussions and asking tough questions that then elicit insightful answers accelerating our awareness of the biggest issues impacting our lives and the future of humans good morning good afternoon good evening it's afnan hotra here from straight talk today once again i have a wonderful guest with me uh, and today um is very special because most recently i made a trip out to india a couple of weeks back and i had the pleasure of meeting our guest today at a, a facility that can only be described as awe inspiring and transformational uh, to the extent that the, the 40 or so people that uh, we took over it was an envoy that we took over from europe and uh, parts of europe the uk and even the states in the united states uh, were just flummoxed and captivated by just the enormity of impact that this foundation which is called the desh pande foundation and desh pande startups has had and is having on the next generation of entrepreneurs not only did we feel that uh, india was very much about the heart uh, as as much as, as as it was about the mind in fact the heart being first and which is what differentiates india i think to the rest of the world and certainly many parts of the east but also the wonders of india is you know defined by the the, the great dr mashalka who you would have heard on the, this um show in the past talks about the 3d's that uh, define india the the fact that it's a democracy that it's diverse and its demographic advantage and i th- i threw a fourth one in which is this whole idea of discussion and debate and so the indian mentality to discuss and debate uh, the argumentative indian which is a book um uh that was written many many years ago by amritya sen actually encapsulates that beautifully where discussion and debate is the epicenter of what it means to be an indian and today we have a a pioneer in discussion debate innovation creativity uh, dr arvin chinchare please um uh you know um welcome dr chinchare i met him of course many weeks back i'm thrilled that you're on our show arvin and i'm going to do everything i can to get all of that knowledge and wisdom out of that mind of yours and of course i know you speak from the heart so firstly a warm welcome from straight talk and all of our straight talkers thank you of uh, such a pleasure such an honor to be part of your show i know in the past there were legends who are part of who were part of your shows and the kind of names that you just described um who are going to be part of this show so it's a it's a truly truly an honor and and someone i'm talking to like a friend because we met in india and i still remember this you know 
I just entered into Bangalore International Center and you were the first person to meet. And event was about to happen. And I don't remember we nonstop spoke for 30 minutes or 40 minutes till you know someone has to tell us that please come into the auditorium, the event is going to happen. So <laughs> that was the disconnect that we had. And it, and and now today I have another pleasure to have that kind of a engaging conversation. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, no, it's a real, listen, it's a real honor. And it's fantastic when you have these moments and we had that good 30 to 40 minutes of unplanned, unprecedented, human to human engagement on, on something we both care immensely about, of course. And it was a learning experience, I think, for certainly for me, uh, where I was able to you know, understand where you come from and why you come from where you come from. And a lot of that will be discussed today. So before we go into more of the detail, I, I would like everyone to know, of course, as you know, we are in a, in a phase in a series with Stray Talk, which is about supporting and promoting inspiring authors. And so uh, this is Dr. Chinchere's book, uh, the New Age Organization, How to Navigate Rapid Disruption and Lead in the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And the Fourth Industrial Revolution is what we have all been preparing for, for a number of years, and especially over the last three years during the COVID time, right at the beginning of COVID when we started Straight Talk, to now. It feels as if we've done a good job so far to elevate the awareness and accelerate the awareness of many of our straight talkers, all 12,000 of them globally, who now have a much better understanding of what's going on around the planet, around key issues, all the way from the digital world order to then, of course, what it means to be human, uh, the scientific side and also the spiritual side, from yoga to the power of healing and many techniques in that space. And this conversation today falls into many of those buckets, Arvind. It's about the digital world order, for sure. It is certainly about climate, because that's one of our topics, climate realism. It's definitely about diversity economics, and uh, that's a core part of this discussion. And in fact, it's, being about, it's about being human. So you're, to, to, to a large extent, I think it's a rare show because of who you are, where you come from, and what you're doing, and the nation you represent. You're going to be covering off all four of our themes, frankly, and, and that's not, uh, that doesn't happen as often. It's not a frequent occurrence. So uh, please go out and buy Arvind's book. I think it's a, it's a necessary read. You'll understand why in a moment. It's available on Amazon, right, Arvind, and um, all of the other channels. You could just Google it, and then you'll, you'll see Arvind's um, profile and so on. And why I think you sh should purchase the book, it's important I say this, is because if you are uh, remotely interested in global disruption, and I know many of you are, because we've been talking about this for, um, for, for, for years, and you're interested in India in particular to understand what is truly going on in India, and not a, you know, not a um, sort of fake veneer, and not a clouded view of India, or not a view of India that is um, has marketing spin on it. This is a, a real raw, authentic view of India that Arvind's provided. So I would encourage you to go buy the book. Now, let's move into the conversation, which is way more important. Um, Tell us about who you are before we jump into what you do and why you do what you do. So who is Arvind? Where, where, where were you? Um, where did you start this journey? Where were you born? Where are you from? How did you get to this point where you and I are having this conversation on Straight Talk? Just a, a, a nice summary. I know it's a big story. Big story. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, very long, um, beautiful story uh, to share 
but let me summarize uh, this way uh, all of us have dreams uh, in my case uh, i had a dream uh, and i fulfilled that dream at a very young age whatever i could imagine uh, that got fulfilled i had a situation in my life uh, what next uh, beyond my dreams i had to reinvent myself and uh, and and create another dream uh, so uh, as a part of my life i come from a very humble background i think uh, if you speak to most of indians of my generation they say that uh, they come from a humble background my father was a teacher uh, but great visionary uh, one thing that he gave us may not be uh, beautiful uh, uh, you know uh, dresses uh, clothes but hundreds of books uh, right. i still remember uh, reading a book on how to make friends and win uh, so by dale carnegie to uh, all the some of the best literary literary uh, books in many three different languages english marathi and kannada and only thing he wanted us is to grab that knowledge and knowledge is something going to differentiate not because we did not have the money so we did not have any other things but uh, for the knowledge but very interestingly as a good student i continued uh, till my um, 10th grade uh, i did well uh, so from a small town uh, in, in in near hyderabad so my father said i need to i was the eldest uh, i need to study more so he relocated entire family from my native place to a district place larger place so that i can right. study better in a better school so i started uh, the second phase of my journey but something very interesting happened of uh, uh, generally i don't share this but when i was uh, in 12th standard which is a most important grade uh, for uh, deciding your future discipline of study something that happened uh, in my life uh, uh, perhaps we could have uh, burned alive or we would have been dead as a family uh, mm. but we survived that and uh, then we became a refugee in our own place right and my exam was starting from march 18th and this episode happened in march 2nd and when i went to my home there was nothing my notes my books everything were thrown out and um, and i was completely devastated hmm. and uh, then uh, as a family whoever feeds us breakfast lunch and dinner we have to go and you know have our breakfast lunch and dinner and there were so many people came to visit us so i had as the eldest at that time i was i think 16 year old or so i started my education early uh, so uh, i had to repeat the same thing what happened on that particular evening and that particular uh, night but eventually uh, one thing that i discovered of uh, that has remained very core to me as a person is compassion perhaps i could have created another thought thought of rage you know doing something negative in the society to take a revenge 
but in my case, it invoked a compassion. And that compassion, I believed as a child, that if everyone has that, perhaps this situation would not have come in anyone's uh, life. Right. But of course, I failed in 12th standard, but that did not stop uh, me from what I wanted to achieve in my life. Uh, so uh, then comes my undergrad. Uh, in the undergrad second year, there was a competition, competition to uh, deliver a lecture uh, to the faculty and students on a topic of a popular science. And it was 1987, on the every cover page of any magazine, weekly or, or monthly magazine, there was a talk about uh, discovery of superconductivity, a very important discovery that, had, that, had, that, that was so revolutionary at that time that if you pass the current, there is no resistance. So suppose I pass one unit of current at one end in this, uh, and the other end, you'll get the same unit. And today you have, because of the resistance, you lose 20, 30, 40% of the power that we generate. Yeah. So I delivered a talk. I was the winner. But something profound happened. To have this kind of a phenomena, the two electrons, which generally don't come to each other, they generally same charges ripple. Mm. But here, because these two electrons came together and created this zero resistance and infinite conductivity, that really made me curious why two electrons should come together. Literally, I ran to my professor, who was the head of the department of physics. I said, sir, you taught us that same charges cannot come together. And, and here is a phenomena where two electrons come together. Tell me how this can happen. He said, Arvind, I don't know. But my daughter is studying masters. Just go home and talk to her. From my college, I went to my professor's home. I met daughter of the professor and said, how did this, how this can happen? And she introduced me a concept of a phonon. But still, I was not able to comprehend and then she gave me two most important books in solid-state physics, written by Decker and Kettle, yeah. and I started reading. But this, why I'm sharing this particular story, that quest, quest to understand why two electrons come together led me to do my master's in physics, in condensed matter physics, pursue my PhD in physics, in superconductivity, but you may not believe that after my PhD, I went to a lab in Leiden University in Netherlands. Yeah. The lab name is Kemerlingonis Laboratory. And for me, this was a temple because Kemerlingonis was the first scientist in the world to discover superconductivity. Wow. Look okay. at you know, a child from a small village, you know, has a dream. The dream converts into a quest, and that quest leads you to a place where that entire field was originated. Mm. So, so, of course, you know, um, after this experience in Netherlands, uh, I worked in 
PhD global research, I said, let me now explore science and various dimensions of science. Right. So I started working in industry uh, that is uh, as a part of a G global research. After G, I said, the next big thing that was happening in India was intellectual property. So I moved to intellectual property and a startup, built the first startup in 2003, exited in 2005. Then I said, next thing is I can actually understand and contribute to the technology management and strategy for a large corporate. I worked in Honeywell. After this, uh, I had a privilege to work with Dr. Mashalkar on innovation. Mm. Six years I was with Dr. Mashalkar. How do we drive you know, innovation in a large corporation from bottoms up? And how do we create this new billion dollar businesses for the company? And after that, uh, I said, let me now start contribute to social work. I started working for or volunteering for Deshpande Foundation. I then went on to become a consultant to World Bank to advise neighboring nations on, on building their capacity for science, technology, innovation. Right. Then I started India's first innovation and entrepreneurship MBA program, where students do not ask for a job, but they create a job, which is I a know. unique uh, program. Yeah. And then I got into policy. So recent, my policy paper is on uh, how India as a nation can lead in the fourth industrial revolution. So uh, today, uh, I'm associated with uh, social work. Uh, so I'm part of a Deshpande Foundation, leading Deshpande startups uh, in a small town, uh, tier two, tier three town in India. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that has been my uh, journey. So, uh, so yeah. Far, yeah. Yeah, th that's, that's incredible. And I think, firstly, thank you for sharing that. There's so many dimensions of that experience that uh, I'd like to bring to life and pursue in this conversation. I think the first, for the purposes of appreciation, for many who don't really fully understand what it means to be uh, someone from a village, uh, because we have all sorts of viewers, some in the West, some in the East, and the world has changed, of course, like you said, in a certain generation, most people came from humble backgrounds because of where the world was then. And, you know, <clears throat> that was the story then. And of course, since then, people have moved up the Maslow's hierarchy. And so they're more disconnected with what it means to suffer or not to have, <laughs> essentially. And, and we all know that. And I think that's a, that's a common issue all over the world for the next few generations. <clears throat> so I think the scarcity Yes, and the, the the idea that you didn't have, um, you didn't have what others did. The the idea that it wasn't a, a choice; it was necessity. Yes, uh, all of these factors become the secret sauce, almost the secret pill, uh, for the want of another term, that gives you that level of energy and drive and hunger and perseverance and all of the other words we can join with that that uh, define what I believe is sort of the entrepreneur of the East, mm. you know, the, the entrepreneur of a, born out of India has a, a very different setup, a different DNA, a different operating system. And it is because of these stories and the lineage and the background. And it could be someone who's way more comfortable is not from a village from actually from a city, but of course they have the story of their uncle or their grandfather or their father, who's got this very, you know, arduous, 
painful, mm. uh, emotion-driven story. And emotions are so important. The heart, again, in being a wonderful, powerful entrepreneur. I don't think yeah. it runs on logic. And, yeah. and this is where I find India to be a, a mix of contradictions, oxymorons, and uh, dichotomies. Because on the one hand, and there's so many of them, but on the one hand, it's the home and the land of engineers, at least one part of India, which is logic-driven. One and zero, zero and one, and um, mathematicians and scientists mm. as well. And on the other hand, heart plays a massive role in decision making, right? So the activation of both sides is a big strength because you know someone could say, well, no, actually, he's totally binary. That you know, beyond that, he doesn't understand. He doesn't have the compassion. But what's beautiful about uh, the story of the Indian, Indian entrepreneur that you'll tell us more about is that they encompass all of these factors. And I want to dig into that a little bit with Deshpande Startup. So uh, let's go into the role that you have currently. And it's a very important role. In your book and in the conversation we had, you've defined Bharat. And yeah. um, many people call it India. Of course, the majority in the world call it India or New India. That's the new sort of term. And this new term that I noticed has become prevalent, and I put this in one of my LinkedIn posts, is Bharat. Now, can, firstly, can you help many of, mm. many of us understand uh, what is what is the core significance? It's nomenclature. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But nomenclature has undertones and it's yes. got a narrative that goes with it. Yeah. So in your opinion, I know this is purely subjective, but help us understand. So what, what's the difference between India and Bharat? Yes. Yeah. No, this is very, very important uh, thing for us to understand uh, these two uh, terms or uh, names, India and right. Bharat. Traditionally, uh, India, of course, is a nation, but when we speak India, India actually re um, connects to the metros. So let's, mm -hmm. you know, what we, what we always say is that uh, if there are 1.4 billion people in India, there are, say, 300 million people who live in urban setting, you know, metros, large cities. and and their needs, their demands, their expectations, aspirations, and everything is very, very different. But there are another 1.1 billion people in India who live in a smaller towns in India. Right. Two, tier three, or maybe even smaller uh, uh, places. All these people who are living in 1.1 uh, 1 billion people living in a smaller town is represented as Bharat because right. there's a disconnect sometimes between India, what you see, for example, in Bangalore or in Delhi or Mumbai, you are living as if you are living in a Western world or in a developed nation in the world. But these billion plus people, they live still in a in a place in an environment which is still in the past got it so yeah. their progress their development their needs are very different their aspirations are different so what we call this non metro region as bharat so th th that represents um, uh, a large section of the society which has uh, different challenges, different needs. 
So, uh, so in, in the entire discourse, whenever you hear this discourse, the moment you hear this discourse between India and Bharat, right. one has to understand that India is <clears throat> representing the metros and rich people, and Bharat is uh, represented by people who are living in a non-metros and, and possibly uh, still uh, uh, economically uh, moving up in the ladder. So that's where the difference comes from India and Bharat. Beautiful. So that's a great, that, thank you for that explanation. It's very important for us to understand because there, there can be confusion around whether this is a nationalist movement or it's, it's something along those lines. But what you're saying is Bharat is the term that's representing the majority of people who live in rural parts of India, tier two, tier three cities. And of course, their future and their journey over the next few decades is what matters to you as part of the yeah. Deshpande agenda, right? So let's let's spend time on that. So you have a fantastic facility, and one of the most fascinating things about what I've noticed during my time there is uh, all aspects of innovation. And you know the, the term again that I love is affordable excellence. It feels like India is moving towards the uh, the realities of being a country that is known for creating amazing innovation that is excellent, not substandard or suboptimal. It's excellent innovation built in, you know, uh, grade eight clean rooms or, or higher. And um, from semiconductor IoT devices all the way to robotics. And what I love about the innovation that I've seen is that it's innovation that is built with little amounts of money. Yes. Right. Which is so refreshing, uh, frankly. And every venture capital that's listening to this or anyone who's ever invested in a startup or anyone who's actually received money will know that uh, whilst money is great to have and it's great to have a 10, 20, 50 million check uh, at the you know series A, series B stages of your growth, the pressure and the stress that comes from that um, that money is a different conversation. Not, not only that, when abundance kicks in, one forgets mm. how to spend that money sensibly, not frugally. You don't always have to be cost-cutting, but sensibly, um, where I feel that India has really got this incredible competitive advantage that no one in the West just can appreciate or even understand, uh, even, even, even in parts of uh, North Africa, you know, um, where there is, uh, you know, it's not as developed. Even there, there is just the influence of the West and the, you know, the, the rollout of products and mindset has happened already. So that's where India has got an advantage. So tell us about one area which I'm really fascinated by, which is uh, selfish, but it's to do with agri, uh, agri innovation, agri tech uh, in India. Tell us about why um, that is so important for India, number one. And number two, give us some examples of really interesting companies or people that you believe are worthy of global recognition. And maybe they're getting it, but maybe they're not. And this is a forum that will give them that more so. Yes. <clears throat> no, this is a fascinating, uh question uh, to have uh, uh, our discussion affordable excellence uh, which is a oxymoron in a way you know contradictory yeah. you know excellence and right. you know Pramashakar always gives several examples around uh, affordable excellence so yes. let me answer this in a uh, in a in a different dimensions uh, first it uh, reminds me of uh, reading, listening uh, to uh, legendary uh, management guru, Professor T.K. Prahlad. Right, yeah. So he did study of global companies and uh, 
he came out with a very elegant explanation uh, when innovation happens and uh, when innovation uh, will suffer so he used this model called um, aspiration versus resources so his finding is very very interesting he said that today there are several companies with possibly infinite resources so there are more resources but aspirations are less innovation will not happen okay so when you have more resources and your aspirations are less innovation doesn't happen and there are many many examples today by which we can understand this aspect right the second is uh, i have less resources but i have aspiration right true innovation happens and he gives several examples of companies around the world where and particularly if you look at all the startups for that matter it doesn't matter whether right. they are from uk or india or us initially they start with the very less resources but they have that hunger that passion that idea uh, and with limited resources they have to innovate the innovation happens so sometimes innovation happens when you have less resources or you have less constraints now you know later example um, you know in uh, mr ratan tata he he said you know why not we do innovation in a constrained environment we, in fact there is a whole discipline now which is called constraint driven innovation i have infinite resources today but i am putting the constraints constraint on resources time and everything so that the real innovation uh, happens for the company and the world so that's a, at a one dimension the second is the way we as indians we have been brought up we always brought up in scarcity right uh, you know and that scarcity makes us to find solutions suppose see i don't have the things that will help me to achieve um what i want to achieve right i mean but several challenges you know um, so so then what i do as a as a person is i find a way i find a solution i find i try to see whether i can do something different so that you know in spite of these constraints and scarcity i can still yeah. achieve what i want to uh, achieve and the same thing has now been uh, seen in the entrepreneurs so most of our entrepreneurs in deshpande startups for example so we have nurtured say 360 plus entrepreneurs and since 80% of these entrepreneurs come from non metro that is bharat so even if you give them even just say million rupees 10 lakh rupees the way they do the calculations and say that i need only 7 lakh rupees not 10 lakh rupees now that is a small tiny financial resource uh, right. that we offer as a grant but by nature by our brought up by our culture and training they say that i don't want to use entire resource but i will use only this resource but the best part about them is they are deeply connected to the problem mm. they have experienced the challenges and pains of that problem right but we want to find the inspiration is to find the solution yeah and now one side they have less resources 
but mm. they are deeply driven to find the solution mm. that they connect with they will innovate and they find the solutions uh, mm. to the problems mm. now if i you know come to the third dimension third dimension is about why agri is important for india if you look at um, say indian economy and indian economic uh, progress predominantly in the recent time last couple of decades is driven by it and it services right yes traditionally uh, so the gdp contribution of uh, manufacturing is around uh, 17% or so agri is also around 15% and uh, and so so fundamentally uh, if as a nation we need to continue our economic progress we need to focus on agri in agri there are millions of people who work but the productivity is very less right so for national uh, economic development it is imperative for nation to focus on agri and next is manufacturing the manufacturing contribution to the gdp has to go from this 17% to 25% and from 25% to the larger why this is important because this it services or services is now stagnating or it will have a very slow growth so that's fundamentally for a nation we need to uh, need to look at agri as a as a area of interest the second is agri brings lot of opportunities because there are a lot of challenges if you look at farmer and farmers income is a dismissal I mean, very you know farmers today don't earn because they have a smaller smaller margin these are all marginal farmers with right. two acres and four acres of <clears throat> land and so on livelihood becomes a challenge they are generally debt ridden and uh, and as a family if they don't prosper or economically um stable uh, the children the next generation will never be able to really come into the mainstream of the economy so right. it's extremely yeah. important for uh, all of us uh, to take this as an opportunity and deshpande foundation saw a huge huge opportunity in agriculture mm. and, in, and are you are you are you sorry since i don't want to stop your flow but it's important uh, are you bringing it to life a little bit and i know you're getting there what sort of innovations do you believe are uh, i would define as being breakthrough innovation so i mean you know you could define innovation in so many ways as your master of doing that but i'm i'm trying to get my head around which of those innovations that you're seeing in being born now that you believe are um, are breakthrough disruptive if you want to call it that but breakthrough certainly and also throwing another thing into this are export worthy because we're talking about affordable excellence so just give me a bit of a sense of how you gauge that yeah let me share a, a story of a of an entrepreneur mm-hmm. who has been with us for last uh, i think 10 plus years right again young highly aspirational engineer he said i need to solve the problems of agriculture and one of the fundamental problems why farmers get less income is because they don't have the facility or infrastructure or a machine where they can do sorting and grading now sorting and grading is such a simple thing for 
any um, uh, any farmer uh, in the world uh, and they do it sometimes right uh, in their own farm or possibly they you know send it to a place where sorting and grading just happens but here farmer produces whatever they produce they don't do the sorting and grading therefore their income level substantially uh, goes down right so now this company uh, called nanopix right so they said uh, let's start this as a as an opportunity and apply technology and do the sorting and grading mm. for farmers for example uh, they took in uh, because this part like goa and uh, and and coastal part grows lot of cashew nut mm-hmm. now if i have to do the export of cashew or even sell in the market at a right price there was no machine to do the sorting and grading now sashi the founder he developed this machine using all this image analysis and analytics and and and, and many other uh, you know combining other technologies to do the sorting and grading and i can tell you that uh, this machine goes to uh, i think several countries around the world so the 40% of the global market so so he acquired 40% of the global market wherever there are cashews uh, wow. he's there okay. and his machine is there i'm just giving uh, this as an example then we have a wide mobility again one export product from this region is gherkins mm-hmm. now this have a very complex issue because uh, it's not just about sorting and grading but you have to inspect whether there are any infections within the gherkin so now what they did was they used x-ray methodology build a machine where now gherkin gets inspected sorted and graded correct which yeah. goes deeper into the gherkin and you know detects whether there is an infection or no infection because visually it is almost impossible for a, for a, anyone to see whether there is a problem now the machines of the white mobility are there in 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 india and slowly they are exploring other markets and also other applications both nanopix and white mobility are now exploring other you know applications of the same technology now come very fundamental problem uh, for farmers uh, or in agriculture is um, is understanding what is your soil you know this the right. the, the quality of the soil monitoring is extreme yeah. so we have a krishi tantra uh, a company which has developed a portable model to do the soil testing and they are there uh, with say you uh, know in, in a in almost uh, several uh, states of india and millions of farmers are today using and this is again based on iot and 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 uh, and, and it's a deep technology that gets into this uh, uh, this machine the last I, i will you know i will just close because i can go on talking about this the last one is um, is uh, falatech and this company uh wanted to produce uh, fresh nutritious vegetables at home now falatech has developed a robo or a robot which becomes a companion uh for uh, family members 
to grow vegetables, to grow fruits and so on. So we have seen innovations in agriculture. So if I like, took, uh, if I take the portfolio Correct. of yeah. say, 360 startups, the 40% of the startups are uh, in agri. It is even how do I recharge my water? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The farm. So, so, so how do I do pest control? Uh, uh, this thing. Now we are looking at drones as one of the uh, you know uh, um, uh, applications for the far, uh, for the agriculture. So I see uh, there is a big need and big challenge, and we have these young entrepreneurs who have been born. Mm-hmm in the farmer's family or agriculture family, so they can relate, they relate to the problem and they are coming out with solution, which are very affordable, but of exceptional quality. So these are some of the examples that I can give, but I can share more and more examples of entrepreneurs uh, who are working in agriculture. Yeah, this this is beautiful because if I think about, just for a moment, the export side in terms of global trade, and of course we know globalization is been debased a little bit and it's on the decline in the way we knew it over the last few decades and there's a new paradigm emerging and we don't quite know what that looks like we're sort of figuring it out globally geopolitically when you consider the opportunity for india and its trade with the west there's one idea i'd like to throw at you which of course requires more debate and discussion which really is a breakthrough and an opportunity over the next decade around uh, ensuring that the Western world, I live in the UK, other parts of Europe, even the Americas to a large degree, the Western world at a household level yes. um, is more informed, more aware, and more mm. involved in the uh, production and sort of you know, micro farming of fruits and vegetables. And the reason for that, I guess the big tag around that and the problem we're solving is related to food security and food inflation. And we've started to experience that in the West in in the recent months, much, much more so because of the situation with Mm -hmm. Ukraine and Russia and and many other factors too. And I think uh, the problem that you talked about problems. So the problem we face in the West is that A, we have no knowledge really, and we're quite disconnected from uh, let's call it the concept of allotment at home. It's the first mm-hmm. time you'll hear this on the show. Yeah. So the Department for um, you know, Environment and, and Food and Rural Affairs, DEFRA in the UK, uh, they can take this idea. And the, the concept is that if we were in a position where someone or some entity or some nation could create a knowledge pack, could provide intellectual property, could provide learnings mm. around affordable excellence, could provide tools, could provide... Tech, technology and products in the form of the Falatech solution or, or similar, that could be very quickly, easily, affordably used at home. Because, of course, we're not going to spend tens of thousands of pounds trying to build um, a, a micro farm and, and produce just a few cauliflowers. That's mm. not going to stack up, you know, unless you're super wealthy and you're doing it as a passion project. For most of us, we will need support from the government and a subsidy. And so one of the ideas I'd love to throw at you, this is something we will pursue is, I think, you know, the work you're doing on agri-tech, the 40% of companies in your 360 are all agri-based, maybe that number will grow as role models build, 
right? And that's the beauty. As successes come through, like the companies you've talked about, the next innovator tomorrow will say, I want to do the same because you're inspired and engaged and you're like, there are many more problems that need to be fixed. A better robot, a better technology, a better soil quality uh, indicator or tester and so on. So I would uh, encourage you to think about and work with us to um, come up with a whole new program of work where mm. India is exporting its excellence of knowledge, which is probably the first time ever from an industrial standpoint, into markets like the UK, where you're protecting the UK's food security problem and de-risking us. You know, uh, So I'm throwing that idea because I do believe this is a call out for the UK government and Indian government, uh, with our support, uh, Arvind, to really yeah. champion this cause. Because without pragmatism, conversations can be had for, for hours. But we have to come up with something pragmatic to drive change. What, what, what are your views on that? How do you feel about this? So, um, you know, what next in agriculture yeah. is about food technology? Because I see that there are a lot of entrepreneurs working in the agri-sector to deal with several problems associated right. with the agri and uh, this thing. The question is now, suppose uh, like Deshpande Foundation, uh, we do this farm ponds, then we also have other solutions and services by right. which farmer can produce more, say, crops, yeah. more horticulture, vegetables, yeah. fruits, yeah. and so on, because we are making and enabling that farmer to produce more. But fundamental question uh, that we need to ask is, what happens to that produce yeah. before it goes to the market and after market to the, say, say people, consumer? Yeah. Yeah, farm yeah. to food. Yeah, you will be shocked to know that thirty-five to forty percent of the that produce is wasted in this during harvesting and post-harvest and the supply chain till it yes. reaches. Yes. See, one side of you are talking about food security. Other side, we produce more, but we we are wasting. Correct. So, yes. Yeah. Fundamentally, uh, we need uh, say several solutions, breakthrough solutions, and mm -hmm. all kinds of solutions. So as a foundation, uh, as a part of a Deshpande startups and macro entrepreneurship program, we are launching now an innovation center, which is dedicated for the food and food technology. Beautiful. We yeah, did the pilot, and one of the pilots that mm -hmm. we did, and we saw very encouraging results is, take any vegetable or a fruit, now, the fruit otherwise would have wasted. Now I can dehydrate right. that fruit yeah. and increase the shelf life from days all the way to years. Sure. Just one simple intervention. And what we are trying to do is uh, we are looking at now next phase is not only just reduce the waste, but look at the entire value chain mm. of that particular produce. Let's take, for example, banana or mango. Now, if I take banana, banana, of course, we use, uh, we eat the fruit inside, but there is a skin. Then if I look at banana plant, which is full of fibers and multiple applications of that, but I can do banana chips to banana chunks to banana powder. And this banana powder is a, is a replacement. It's a very, very nutritious replacement to the maida. 
or a refined flour. Right. Very interesting. Okay. So now I can use this flour, banana flour, and make cookies. And those cookies are now become gluten-free cookies. Correct. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or I can replace everything that I'm, I can do cakes, I can do uh, bread and many other things where I can use this powder. And of course, children would like, instead of, you know, eating just banana, children would like to have those chunks. Right. And they enjoy uh, having those chunks. But if you look at now, when this part of India, uh, our uh, region produces some of the best uh, Alfonso mangoes. Right. Yeah, we love them. Yeah, super tasty. And now look at the situation of mango growers. Mango growers today, see, when harvest happens, they get, say, one unit mm -hmm. or, say, 100 rupees plus per kg. Yeah. And within four weeks, that drops to 20 rupees or 30 rupees. And after some, after some time, it's a waste. Can you believe uh, Alfonso mango price drops one-fourth within four weeks? Mm. And now they don't actually make money. Farmers don't make money, but as a consumer, we spend a lot of money to get that uh, mango and eat that mango. Mm. So now look at mango value chain. In the mango value chain, you have a skin. Now, that mango skin has a lot of nutraceuticals. Right. So, okay. we need entrepreneur. I have, uh, I know some entrepreneurs who are trying to extract nutraceuticals from the skin. Then I can do many things. I can do pulping. I can do dehydrated chunks. I can do concentrate. I can do pickles and many things. Then there is a seed. Now, that seed can be converted into a vegan leather. Just imagine wow. the potential of this. Now, unfortunately, no one is looking at food and food value chain, and that fruits or uh, agri-produced value chain. Now, we need a lot of innovation at every step of the value chain. Now, harvest happens, sorting, grading, you need ripening chamber, you know, you need cold storage. After that, you need inspection for export, for good quality, grade A, grade B can go to export or uh, on the right. table for uh, consumers. Grade three, grade, grade four or C and D, now I can use it for multiple uh, application. I can make a juice, I can make a pulp, I can make a you know concentrate chunks and many other things. And in this whole value chain, nothing goes waste and make it highly sustainable model. And that is the model that we are building today. And we call this as a cluster model where in a village, each village will have five women. They will have one machine to do the value addition, a step in the value addition. Right. So 10 villages constitute, you know, one family or a, a company or a cooperative of 50 plus women. Wow. And then at a block level, you have a secondary processing unit where you can do the next level of value addition. And here, what we are building is an innovation center because we need, you know, best of best minds from academia, you know, from engineering, from, um, from um, you know, farmer, agri background and agri experts to come together and solve the problem at each of these value chains. So now just look at uh, impact of this. One is economic impact because something which was best, we are creating a value. <clears throat> 
it's a, it brings lot of nutrition today 900 million people today do not get nutritious food in india now i'm adding nutrition to those who cannot otherwise afford or have access to nutritional food mm. one out of four child in india has uh, undernourishment problem i can take this nutritious value added food mm. to the child then third a fourth is you're impacting uh, climate change mm. because suppose i'm i have to <clears throat> carry mango or a banana from a yeah. place to b place yeah. what i'm actually carrying is 80% of water yeah the fruit has 70 to 80% of water now if yeah. i dehydrate <clears throat> remove the water i'm reducing the cost of fuel mm. so more volume and so on the so so you spotted uh, right that this is the next big one of its kind or, or one of the century opportunity for india and rest of the world mm. to come and ensure that nothing goes west uh, in the in the food value chain and in this process farmer wins and all of us we have a nutritious food to eat so our mission our goal is is save food for all so we are working with that mission so let us save food whatever we are producing you know one side we have to increase the productivity but once we increase the productivity we need to ensure that that produce doesn't go waste at any step in the uh, in the value chain yeah. so so that is our ambition our uh, aspiration today with which we are working and next time when you are in india you will see a possibly innovation center uh, here and let's explore and we need help of you and uh, anyone who is passionate about this particular topic right. because yeah. we need technology we need cutting edge technology where uk can bring in that cutting edge technology we will bring certain knowledge which is based on this uh, our experiments i think together we can do something which is unique uh, for humanity so yeah i mean that's you know you hit the nail on the head and i think moving forward also as you rightly put it uh, for straight talk and what we're building here we're absolutely a talk show that's fine mm-hmm. and we're straight talking and uh, one of the things i'd like to do for next year is focus on outcomes and outputs and changes that we can create in uh, the um, the sphere around us you know however wide whatever degrees of separation and i have a particular passion and love for india a lot of what you've said today i just want to repeat is in the book and there's a lot more in the book around Uh, the the beautiful models and i i want to close off with this very very i would say relevant and enchanting model that uh, arvin shared with me which um i'll try and repeat and then you can add context to it and uh, the the model is you know i asked arvin the question i said so tell me a bit about india you know i came here four years ago i have a business there i'm familiar with hiring there i'm familiar with growing my company there it's got its ups and its downs and it takes a certain character and a, a certain level of readiness to work in india and it's not straightforward you know you've got to really understand the pulse of the country so we were having this conversation if i may and uh, arvin said well the india that you've just walked into 4 years after covid during that period is an india that i would define by using you know an acronym a c e ace now i'll pass the ball over to you help us understand what you mean by ace because when we're 
For me, when we close this conversation, if you remember nothing from this conversation, maybe you'll definitely remember the innovations in Falatech and um, you know, Nanopigs and some of the other great companies, wide technology and so on, you will absolutely remember ACE and that will give you the motivation to go buy New Age organization to read more about it. Of course, that's in there. Is that right? The, the ACE concept is in the book. Right. Another is there, so <laughs> there are, yes, yes. So, so you you've been evolving it, which is beautiful because that's the whole point. As a founder of anything, you cannot just rest on your laurels and say, "Well, what I did yesterday is fit for purpose tomorrow." So you're constantly changing, um, okay. which is beautiful. Yeah. Please tell us what ACE means, uh, so people can understand the concept of of the the new India or Bharat, as you call it. So, um, if I look at my journey uh, of um, it was all about scarcity. It's about survival. Right. And uh, if I ask my father or what was my father's dream for me or his children was how can his children get some secure job? Maybe right. a clerk in the bank or a post office or become a teacher. Mm-hmm. Of course, teacher is a very good profession. But he was not able to imagine uh, possibilities and opportunities uh, mm-hmm in a new India or emerging India that a person like me or his child can think of going abroad. And uh, and, I I have been an advisor to some of the best research institutes in UK. Uh, I've been uh, part of several global research projects, had an opportunity to work with some of the best institutions in the world and organizations in the world. So now, if you look at one fundamental thing, what makes that happen? It's only not only me I'm saying, but say my generation and next generation, I, I, when I compare this, because we were driven, you know, we wanted to do something, you know, we were, uh, we were, we were dreaming, we have an aspiration. Right. You know, we have scarcity, a lot of challenges. So that yeah. aspiration brought us where we are today. So, so the A in this uh, ACE is this quality of, I would say, majority of Indians mm-hmm. is they are very, very aspirational. And, and in fact, there was a study done and that study said that India is the most aspirational society in the world. And there is a research that was done and this is. So, so that aspiration uh, is making this new India and whatever uh, progress we see uh, in this uh, new India. So aspiration is very, very important. But just having aspiration doesn't help. I may have a big aspiration to change the world, but unless I have access, unless I have access to talent, I have access to the capital, unless I have access to technology. So this combination of this aspiration that is backed by access, if I financial, uh, you know, venture capitalists to come and invest me, that is available now. Technology is available now. Talent is available now. I think that is something which is very, very uh, significant uh, uh, change that I have seen in the in in India. But next is, you know, I have aspiration, I have access, I have abundance, say maybe enough available. Does this really, you know, solve the problem? Or does this make New India or different? Uh, in, uh, different? No. What I have seen is, along with this aspiration, I have seen the courage 
within Indians to take that risk right. to work towards that, you know, your dream or aspiration to solve the problem and other things. That courage is something which is very, very important. If no courage, I may have a greatest aspiration in the world, it right. doesn't work. Yeah. But just courage is not enough. Mm. And this is where I can tell all the viewers is that off, give me the next C. That is the courage, <laughs> having capability. I was, in fact, having access to certain things or um, um, successful examples, but I have a courage, but also backed by the capability to do this. I think that is the biggest shift that you can see, or I'm seeing this. But now I have aspiration, I have access, I have courage, I have the capability to do this. But the next is, you need to have right skill set or, or, or right mindset to do this. And what I'm seeing in India is, uh, I see a lot of Indians now becoming more and more entrepreneurial. In fact, earlier right. on, we were entrepreneurial. It's not that we were not entrepreneurial, but I see a lot of entrepreneurialness in India. Therefore, you know, India is the third largest startup ecosystem in the world. We have yeah. now so many unicorns that are happening uh, and so on. Yeah. Now, that entrepreneurialness is today backed by the ecosystem, entrepreneurial ecosystem. Right. And therefore, what I see is that the new India, the equation for new India is that, <laughs> that aspiration, that courage, and that entrepreneurialness that I see in the new generation, young generation. And as I see more and more young, young, youngsters, um, uh, even in our ecosystem, you know, mm -hmm. like I, you, you, you have seen uh, of the two youngsters from a small town college, they decide to build a headphone, which is one of the best in the world. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can apply this. They had aspiration. They had a courage to do this. And they were entrepreneurial. And they got an ecosystem support from Deshpande Startup and so on. I think mm. that is where I see uh, new India emerging. Uh, mm. In spite of you know millions of challenges that exist uh, today uh, uh, in India, but because of many reasons. We may not have the world-class infrastructure. We may not have the world-class uh, academic institutions. We may not have the world-class, say, um, uh, talent or something. But still, whatever we have, we actually bring it together and make things happen. I think mm. that's where I see New India uh, emerging. Sorry. And let me uh, close this, uh, my thought, and, and we can, of course, go deeper and, uh, and have deeper conversation. So I was just reflecting today uh, of, for this particular talk. Yeah. I said, let us look at India's demography. So mm -hmm. we are 1.4 billion people. And I started looking at the population, um, how it is distributed in terms of age. So we have almost, I think, 29% or 30% population, right. which is below 15 years. We have 50% population which is below the age of 25. Mm. We have 65% of the population which is below the age of 35. Yeah. Now, just look at the power of this. Now, 30%, if I just approximately, is the, is the 
mm-hmm. population under the age of 15 in the next 10 years let us say so that turns out to be 400 million the 400 mm-hmm. million people who are in the age below 15 years mm-hmm. let us take 10% of them yeah they become entrepreneurial and one person become entrepreneurs right now 400 that 40 million is almost half of uk's population which is right. 70 million right you know right. 69 uh, million uh, uk's population now half of the population is less than the age of 15 and let's imagine 10% and 1%, which is a substantial. Now, if I look at, say, you know, to, uh, that 50% uh, of peop- uh, age below the age of 25, mm-hmm. which is seven, 700 million people, and take 10% is 700 million people, which is the population of UK. Mm-hmm. 10%. So 70 million. 70 million, you mean? Yes. 70 million. Yeah. 70 million is the 10% of, say, 700 million. <clears throat> yeah. 700 million people are below the age of uh, 25 mm-hmm. and if mm-hmm. they do this magic or or create this possibility to become entrepreneur with all the things that they have just imagine where new india will head to in the next yeah. say 20 years or 30 years yeah yeah no it's beautifully put i mean i think this goes back to the demographic competitive advantage that india has uh, i remember doing a a talk on the bbc in 2017 it was an unexpected interview that I was brought into and uh, totally ill-prepared. But it was, at that point, Boris Johnson was going to India with Theresa May and he was the foreign secretary. And the journalist, uh, Amroriwala, Matthew Amroriwala, asked me uh, many questions, but he asked me a question about, you know, something along the lines of, of what should the UK do with India? Uh, is it too early? Is it too late? Something along those lines. And my natural response, actually, at that point, Arvind, just to cement your mm-hmm. point, to give it, you know, even more uh, importance than it uh, it has now. I said, uh, I said, well, the UK needs to decide. This is pre-Brexit. This was pre-Brexit. Mm-hmm. And I said, that depending on what happens, the UK needs to decide where it stands globally and from a competitive standpoint. And think of your country as a company, as a company. You have your own value proposition, you have your own vision, mission, strategy, purpose, you have resources. At the end of the day, you're seeking to grow in some way, shape or form. And if the UK has to grow, it will Mm -hmm. have to work with and collaborate with and grow together with a country like India. However, um, the UK needs to figure out what it's, competitive advantages because India's competitive advantage at that point I said was its demographic advantage because 30 years down the line when I'm 74 you know I'll be with my walking stick or my Zimmer frame or not maybe I'll be running around the block who knows I will be I'll be richer financially and intellectually and wisdom wise and I'll probably make some good decisions but my lifespan will be limited and my ability to then build a next company will be curtailed but 30 years down the line those 15 year old kids would be actually at prime. In fact, the research just came out suggesting that someone who's between 40 and 50 is probably going to be more likely to get investment from VCs over the course of the next three, five, seven years, because their probability of success is much greater for all the reasons that are obvious, as in they've been through more life experiences, more failures, therefore, you know, more um, uh, informed decision-making. So India has this incredible advantage, which I think you are pioneering, you're cultivating, you're like a parent to some extent, it feels like individually and as an organization. And I saw that 
firsthand. I saw the each individual standing up from their working spaces when we all walked in with energy, oozing energy and inspiration and, and, you know, ideas and curiosity and looking around at the people thinking, who are these people? What can I learn from them? Uh, someone mm. even thought, well, what can I sell them? You know, which is great. <laughs> and um, the guy with the headset, and which is brilliant. So you, you are at the, um, you are at such an important intersection with what mm. you're doing. And I must congratulate you. And I feel blessed that i'm talking to you and i'm talking i've spoken to many folks who are doing great work in india and i will be speaking to desh at some point and and so on and because what you have decided to do together is you've decided to make a decision we've decided to be courageous and instead of go work for another corporation which you could quite easily do you've decided to go dedicate your life to uh, social impact and that social impact has um enormous enormous uh, earth-shattering impact on yes. the way we think, the way we live, the way we eat, what we eat, when we eat, um, the food supply, the environmental situation that we're dealing with, and 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 on and on. So for that, I congratulate you. And I think I, one lesson I'm taking away is that all of us in the West who are busy with our day jobs and we are buried in the busyness of life, many of us, thankfully I'm liberated now, but I was definitely one of them. Uh, to to give some time to making a difference to people who need that help the most, because without generosity and giving back, which is where your compassion comes from, because you've been in that terrible situation before, right? Uh, we have to, we are, we're not, but maybe we will be in 15 years. I have no idea. And maybe there'll be, a, there'll be a revival of, of scarcity driven aspirations in the West. Mm. Who knows? I have no idea. Um, but as I close off, I just firstly, I wanted to thank you for your time. What a fantastic hour we spent together. I could spend many more hours with you. Before we close, could you tell us a little bit about this experience? Uh, you know, you and I have spoken before, but I, I just want to know for all of our viewers in, in a few words, what has the last hour or so been for you in terms of the experience of this dialogue? I'm sure you'll, you talk to and you'll be talking to many, many people who will interview you, uh, but I'd love your personal feedback and, and also how we can get better. That's very important for us. So it has been a immense uh, learning for me uh, because after you have a unique ability uh, to come to a question, pro, pro, a thought-provoking question, but you give a very nice context and background before you, you know, that throw that question to uh, to uh, um, uh, to speakers. So uh, it has been a great learning. For me, second is it, it is also has provoked me to reflect and think. Eventually, everything that we are doing uh, off is we are not giving perfect solutions or perfect ideas to everyone, but such conversation should lead me to think and reflect. In fact, your questions have have is making me to think mm-hmm. and reflect and go a little bit deeper and understand other perspectives and possibilities and opportunities and so on. The third is all about convergence. For example, what you spoke about food security. Hmm. And so your thoughts, your ideas, then the kind of work we are doing in Deshpande Foundation and our initial efforts, I think this will strengthen, uh, uh, give a lot of strength to these idea, ideas because it's a validating, right? You independently right. in UK, you are thinking about this. We in a smaller town like Hubli, we are thinking about this, which means 
there is a convergence that is happening more and more people are thinking about this i think yeah, this yeah. is something which is uh, third but the last one is your infectious you know energy passion that you know comes while having this conversation and making you know uh, speakers uh, more open more uh, you know comfortable while sharing uh, you know our experiences for example i'm not sure whether i have shared about uh, that experience in my life during the childhood i would have been burned alive as as a family it it comes out very rarely right it it came out very naturally and and that's the deep connect and that's the you know the way you you know run and moderate and anchor uh, this straight talks uh, thanks yeah. to you compliments to you i am going to uh, you know hear more such talks and you know be a better person so thank yeah, you yeah no thank thank you you're 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 very very kind and i'm honored to have this input and i'm looking forward to working with you more directly on making change happen so you have our full support my entire community of of you know thousands of straight talkers um they're, they're going to be behind this and let's do something magical together because you are already doing it i i'm i'm keen to do it as well and be involved so thank you so much uh, look after yourself thank you for coming on our show we'll i'll see you back in deshpande foundation or i will see you in london who knows yeah. uh, for a, for a, for a, a um, seminar on food security and the export of knowledge out of india into the uk um and so thank you so much uh, thank you for representing bharat and uh, deeply privileged so with that everyone please uh, jump onto the youtube channel subscribe somewhere on on the bottom right there join our community all of this stuff is totally free it's a democratized it's about accelerating awareness of the most important issues impacting the future of humanity and humanity is a combination of many nations and many great people coming together to drive that change so for that um, i'm grateful i'll see you very soon uh, dr arvind chinchare and for that from from here on thank you very much and goodbye thank you thanks a lot